Investing in your business can be a wonderful way to grow wealth and live the life you want. That's what I'm doing. But investing in someone else's business can be even better. In my opinion, this is the best way to generate true passive income streams. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including the Global Cashflow Kings ETF, ticker symbol CFLO, which lets you invest in 200 companies with high levels of free cash flow, such as Visa and Costco, in one ETF. You can learn more about CFLO and the BetaShares fund range by visiting betashares.com.au. Read the PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Welcome to RASC's Australian Business Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who dare to leave the world in a better place and get paid while we do it. This podcast will make you a better business owner, investor, founder, or entrepreneur. If you want to start a business or already have one, please subscribe to the series or share it with your friends, business partner, or colleagues. And don't forget to consider taking our free business course, which includes heaps of templates for creating business plans, HR documents, employee files, all of my software recommendations, and more. The course is completely free and available via the link in your podcast player. Okay, let's get into the episode. Welcome to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. In this episode, I'm chatting with Marcus from primarymarkets.com. Primary Markets is an exchange, a place where people can go and businesses and companies and investors can go to exchange ownership in private companies. So if you're familiar with the Australian Stock Exchange or the New York Stock Exchange or any of these big exchanges, you will know that you can get big companies and shareholders and investors can buy and sell shares or ownership in those companies. But what happens to companies when they're not big enough to be on the stock exchange, but they also have shareholders? For example, my business has shareholders. What do we do? Do we have to keep the share register or the shareholders' names and numbers in a spreadsheet? Or do we do something else? How do I help one of my shareholders sell or buy more shares in the company? How do I sell? These are the types of questions that we deal with on today's show. Uh, Primarymarkets.com is one of the largest platforms for facilitating this type of scenario where a company wants to uh, allow shareholders or investors in or out of the business, also to raise capital if they want to sell more shares, new shares, to investors to get some capital into business to fund the growth. So this is an interesting and wide-ranging uh, topic, uh, and there are many different angles we can go. If you want us to explore more of this topic, that is private companies and how to deal with shareholders, please let me know. Uh, send me a message. You can use the uh, Ask a Question link in your podcast player to get in contact with me, as well as submit your questions and so on and so forth. If you do want me to reply to you, however, please uh, include your email address in your question. Uh, so I can reply to you because otherwise it is anonymous uh, to protect the identity of our other listeners. So if you do want me to get in contact with you, just leave your email address in there and I'll be able to follow you up. Without further ado, here's Marcus from primarymarkets.com. Hey, Marcus, thanks for taking some time to join me on the Australian Business Podcast. Thanks, Owen. Uh, Pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, I think this is going to be really interesting for me, at least. At least we've got a listener of one because... As you know, like my background is in investing, um, but also in like building a business. And we're going to straddle both of those things in the conversation today. We're going to talk about private companies and what goes into building one of those businesses and 
how you can kind of like optimize your business. But then we're going to talk about like the investing side and why private companies can be so interesting for so many uh, investors too. But I thought maybe just to set the scene, mate, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be involved in primary markets? Sure. I think my experience kind of leads quite well into having been working for private companies and public, so I've seen both sides of the coin. Um, you know, originally I, I'm from New Zealand, started uh, working at Westpac as a, as a little analyst looking at businesses and, and how they operate. And then I moved to the UK where I started working for some investment banks or more around the, the acquisitions or mergers and acquisitions for four years I was working in the UK. Um, also seen the, the sites in the, the, dark, the darkness at nighttime at about five o'clock. Then I got an opportunity to go to New York and it's my role kind of changed. I started working for American Express, but I was in the strategy team and the strategy team didn't really look too much at the credit cards, looked at the travel businesses. I mean, I sold a bank in Egypt, so I was placed in Egypt for six months. Um, so there's various different roles and we reported to the CEO in uh, in New York, which was really interesting and exciting. You know, New York is, in itself is an exciting place. I would leave my apartment at 10 o'clock on Sunday night and just get hit by all the activity that was outside in, in Manhattan. So it's always a city that never sleeps, as they say. Uh, as I sort of matured, I started to look for more of a long-term progression after four years in New York. I moved uh, back to Sydney and uh, I got a job at Merrill Lynch working for an investment banking team covering financial services and infrastructure. Uh, and then also specialised in sort of companies that were up and coming uh, that were still private and looking to list. So Merrill Lynch would look at funding the facility from a debt and equity position as well. Then I, worked, I went to ANZ where I looked at purely debt funding in the financial services and infrastructure space and look, looking at a lot of the project finance opportunities in the infrastructure. We sold Queensland Rail. We looked at Transgrid financing and I looked at Origin Energy and, and AGL as some of the clients that I looked after in the institutional bank at uh, ANZ. And then I got a role as a CEO of a publicly listed company, which was a non-bank deposit taker. Uh, we were taking retail deposits from customers and then on lending some of that, that funding to small and medium enterprises where you know the asset book grew substantially and a, success, a successful business that I was at for quite some time. And then I got approached to work at Primary Markets. The business was set up six years ago uh, by two senior lawyers who, who were the founders. And they've asked me to come in uh, to look at the business and see how we can really accelerate the opportunity to support private companies uh, through their growth period. And one of the exciting things was I, I redesigned the whole new technology platform to make it really user-friendly for our investors to use and make it visible for a wide audience and then enable people to or investors to get in on these really exciting pre or private companies before they go public where historically it was only made available for large private equity firms or really big institutions that were buying these companies. So we just tried to broaden the network of opportunities for people. So Marcus, it's a really interesting backstory. You've kind of gone through like financial markets right around the world. Even in Egypt, I've never met someone that was like working on <laughs> businesses in Egypt and things like this. And now you're in this role at primary markets, which maybe we should introduce what primary markets does at the higher level. And then I'll ask you some questions from a business owner's perspective of how you see the ecosystem. So maybe just a really simple one is like, what, is, what do primary markets do? Like, what do you 
do behind the scenes and how does it help business owners and investors? Sure. We do two things primarily. So we put private companies onto our platform and enable shareholders and investors invest in those companies. So if you're an owner of a share, you can trade those shares. You can buy and sell quite uh, clearly. And we show a really clear platform where you can see the market depth of the company. So in essence, we're providing liquidity. Uh, then the other half of the business also uh, undertakes capital raising. So we raise capital for working capital or to help businesses expand, private companies expand their opportunities and, and accelerate their revenue and earnings growth. So you basically serve two sides of the, the business. So you serve like the business, but you also serve the shareholders in those businesses. Correct. Investors. Correct. So I think there's a lot for us to unpack here. We've spoken on the show before about like crowdfunding platforms and the use cases for those. but. Uh, and we'll get to those and the differences between that and primary markets in a minute. But there are just some like overall, uh, I guess, ideas that I just want to cover off with you because you're the expert in this. Can you tell us how the Australian business market kind of shakes out from like a public, maybe you'll have yep. to explain what that means, public versus private marketplace? Because when we caught up in Sydney a while ago, you had some really interesting ideas around the size of the markets and how many businesses there are in Australia exactly. Sure. So to make it really simple, there's three three basically basic types of companies. A public company, which is listed on the stock exchange, usually the ASX in Australia. And then we break down to the realm of a private company where there's generally two types of private companies. One's a proprietary company or a private PTY company, and that usually has 50 shareholders or less. Mm-hmm. And then there's a public or an unlisted public company, which has more than 50 shareholders. And as those shareholders grow, then those types of companies usually move towards an ASX listing. Okay. Um, What we've seen in the market at the moment is we've seen around 2,000 companies, just over 2,000 companies that are publicly listed on the ASX. Uh, And there's nearly six times more private companies in the market if you do a like-for-like comparison on the the terms of the revenue size. I mean, there's also the, the corner shops, but if you're doing a comparison of Companies with over five million dollars of revenue, there's nearly ten to twelve thousand of those companies. So the market's really large for private companies in Australia at the moment. I think that's the kind of key thing, which is like so. When you look at like the ABS data, I was actually looking at at it this morning in anticipation for us having a chat today. And um, if we take an even broader approach of two million dollars, I was estimates based on ABS data, it was just my like kind of rough rule of thumb. I didn't do any sophisticated calculations or whatever. It looked like there was, you know, tens of thousands that are over $2 million in sales a year or revenue per year. And then like you said, even if you go up again to more revenue, there's still four or five or more times the amount of companies that are available. And so this kind of creates this middle market, uh, which is private in uh, air quotes, this middle market of companies that either have business owners who want to sell or at least probably have lots of shareholders, whether they're employees or uh, other like stakeholders in the business that benefit. And there's really no way to unlock that, if you get what I mean. Correct, 100%. And that's that's where, where and why we've built our platform. I mean, we're really one of the only platforms globally that, that offer a service where people who have invested in private companies have a clear path for exit, right? Or they can get in before they list they've seen the growth rate. So we really just tried to bring this sector, which is large and really growing overseas, um, available to our member base, which now we've got over 110,000 members on our platform. So 
maybe this begs the question of why, because I see this like thing playing out in the markets. I'm not the person that noticed this. This has been going on for quite a few years. Of They say that there's a lot of private companies that stay private. So companies that never really make the stock exchange, even though they're big enough, they choose to stay private for longer because, I mean, there are probably a few different reasons. Maybe I'll ask you that question. Why do you think we're seeing that, like more companies stay as private companies? Yeah, it's a really good question because there's some obvious obvious answers. If you look at the number of companies on the ASX, nearly 50% of those have a market cap of less than $15 million. So they're really tiny in terms of the overall size of a, of a, of a business. And all those businesses locked in together around the same market capitalization, and they're all trying to raise capital. So they're all fighting for capital to the same market. Originally, the business was was here to, to help companies prepare themselves to go public. And what we've found is now we're generating a, a lot of liquidity on our platform. So they, there is not a need to, to so much go public. But more importantly, the cost of going public is extremely expensive. The, the average cost we see annually is around $500,000, and that, that's uh, due to a listing fee. It's also governance, auditing fees, disclosure requirements, and the compliance requirements. And all, all those things just take added staff, added costs, and added detail that's required. So from a being a publicly listed company is expensive, and you're really uh, at the market forefront of a significant number of um, companies and investors looking at how the company forms uh, over a short period of time that's when you think about that as a business owner so say i like we're talking about like we're not talking about micro-sized businesses we're talking about businesses typically a few million dollars of revenue and whatever but even still to be able to afford five hundred thousand dollars a year and all this extra stuff that just comes with being on the stock exchange it seems like a lot one of the things that you mentioned to me previously as well is that the idea of like when you have shareholders through some like primary markets, you can have, you can kind of be the, a bit more of a master of your own destiny, so to speak, in that you can kind of say, to sh- like, this is, these are the shareholding rules. This is how it's done. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about, like, I'm imagining a business owner that maybe does want to offer their employees who earned shares in the business or have shareholders, like myself, I have shareholders in my business, right? How do they go about? accessing primary markets, setting those rules and um, basically using the platform to give them the option to sell? Sure. So a lot of, a lot of owners of uh, private companies are, are quite nervous around price discovery. You know, um, basically, values based on supply and demand you know, or buyers and sellers. So one of the key differences between ourselves and a public market is we enable the company and its, and its board to set the trading rules. And so some of those some of those trading rules, you might only want your shareholders to trade during certain periods of time. You want, might want to set a minimum price where people can't trade below than a certain price. Or you also might want to approve who some of the new investors are that's coming into your company, whether they're a competitor, whether they're aligned to your strategy, and also a minimum share price. So historically, we've seen on a public company, people can put in very small parcels and it really affects the share price quite quickly. Whereas on a private market, the company can control those those areas to give less volatility to the company, but also have a platform where we can promote the company at the same time and build a shareholder base that's usually made up of sophisticated investors rather than small day traders or people that are putting really small investments in. So I'm imagining that I'm an investor now, right? 
because there's so many small businesses that I love and would love to invest in. But one of the things is in private markets, often you have to buy the whole thing or you have to find the seller who's willing to sell you a big chunk. And then you just have to accept that you don't control the business and there's no way for you to sell and you just have to stay there forever, basically. Can you talk through some of like the reporting requirements of small businesses? Like we're a huge fan on the show of telling people that even if you have a shareholder of one, like yourself, you should be writing like a letter to yourself. You should be doing quarterly reviews for yourself because it's that chance for introspection. But then obviously having shareholders, you want to share that information with shareholders too. So can you talk through what is typical of companies that use primary markets to report back to their shareholders? Yeah. So the business that we we try and promote is all around communication to the shareholders. And, and that's how you get their support in a company and you get their support for a long period of time. And as a public company, you do need to provide a lot of documents. You need to provide a 4C, a half-year report, an annual report, certain disclosures that are really relevant to the company that um, may or may not impact the share price. And we do try and encourage companies to follow along those similar similar lines for as a private company. So we we request that they provide their half-year accounts, their annual accounts, presentations of the, you know, what the company's doing, the successes it's it's had, the concerns. Um, and what we've found is there's different types of levels of disclosures. Ultimately, on our platform, it's to the requirements or to the governance that the company sets on what they would like to disclose. But it's all around with family's communication and how that is marketed effectively to to our investor base. It's got to be really clear and concise, but on a regular basis, providing news to their investors as they grow the longevity and supporting the company's growth and participate in ongoing capital raises that the company may undertake. How about, there are a few questions I have around like the actual way the platform is put together. One would be like, how do you ensure that, I guess, do, do you have to regulate it in terms of you overseeing what people uh, are saying or what companies are saying? Do you have to do that? And then the other side of it is like security. Like if you have your shares and your money on the platform, like where does that go? Who controls it? How are you protecting that, so to speak? Sure. So let's just talk about the money because everybody has that concern. So if you're a trader, a primary market is, is more of a facilitator between the buyer and the seller. So in order to come onto our platform, we require them to be KYC'd and AML checked, just done by a third party for us. And any funds that transfer between the buyer and the seller, we, we don't touch the money. And so it's held in an escrow account at Perpetual, which is banked at ANZ. The forms that we that we get is we check their shareholding certificate from the person that's selling the shares. But we also check with the company's share register, which is a third party as well. And in most cases, we also check with the company. So three checks of verification that they own the shares. And once the money transfers through, it's done via our trustee account. So it's quite a simple and very quick process, but it's also um, a safe process, which the exchange is between the buyer and the seller. Do you find that some companies come to you and they only want to keep it like a closed net of shareholders? So like I'd imagine like a company comes to you and says, we have 30 shareholders. Most of them are employees, but some of them are like adjacent to that. And we don't really want to open it up, but we just want to give them a way to buy and sell. Yeah, we, we've got a, quite a few companies. So we've got companies on our platform that have a, a trading platform, but just for their shareholders. Oh, sorry, just for their shareholders, but also just for their employees. Uh, new employees coming on and there's an ability for them to have equity in the company. 
but we give them a, an ability to have liquidity of those shares at any time that the company stipulates, or previous employees may have shares in the company. And so those types of rules are, are very set from the company. For instance, we've got Bloom's a chemist, and so in a, the only way you're allowed to buy shares is if you're a chemist. And so they've set that rule. Uh, we've also got a very wealthy a large family on, on our platform who just let their um, their family members trade shares within their company or their family trust. So there's different types of uh, rules that we enable companies to, to set in terms of who can and can't trade. But we're an independent platform, so we're not um, swayed between the buyers, you know, buyer or the seller, or in terms of um, who has rights over uh, the price of the transactions that go through. You've obviously built this platform it seems like it's like quite complex, right? Because you've got like it's like it's integrating a lot of different people, and it's not just an Australian business. I know it's around the world. How much does it cost to use the platform? Is it dependent on like the size of the business? Is it dependent on the number of shareholders, or is it just like one fee and then you pay a transaction fee? Like, how does it all work? Yep, sure. And um, just like uh, any any platform, we we charge a fee to the seller. So if you're selling shares, we charge a brokerage fee. And the fee can vary from four to six percent based on the total transaction size, which is the price times the number of shares. And the the buyer does pay for the KYC and AML, which is a pretty inconsequential fee. So ultimately, we're we're charging the seller who's who's leaving the company. And the types of investors that we usually have: um, sophisticated investors on the platform, family offices, small P firms, or institutions. And people that have pre-qualified in order to come onto the platform to purchase those shares. So when you say pre-qualified, it'd be like someone that in the blooms of chemist thing, someone that's like approved to buy the share. Correct. So can can anyone join primary markets as an investor? Anyone can join primary markets to, to look at the opportunities on our platform where there's over a hundred opportunities. Most of them are Australian based, but we've also got a lot of American unicorns that people can purchase. But in order to make a trade, you'll need to qualify as a sophisticated investor and do your KYC and AML. So I guess one of the things is a few more questions around this. One is like, so say there's all these like small private equity firms, like other investors that are available on the platform and looking to invest in companies. What is your target market in terms of like someone that is a seller? So like I'm imagining a business owner or a group of business owners uh, in a private business. What kind of, like what size would they typically be? And then how do they go about promoting themselves to the investors? So the, the typical size, if you refer back to the ASX, which was sort of $40, $50 million, right, is a typical size. Our sizes range from a, a market cap of usually $10 million to we've got a company that's worth $7 billion on our platform. Generally, it's preferred with, with a shareholder base of 30 and above, you know, moving towards a, the 50 shareholder base because the more shareholders there are that provides liquidity in the platform and it enables the share price accretion or share price value to, to be maintained or, or to increase. But ultimately, the company needs to have a revenue of over $2 million, has a clear path for profitability, and it, it's formulated itself to be really clear and communicate regularly to its uh, shareholders. The way we promote the companies that are on our platform is we send um EDMs or electronic distribution marketing to our 110,000 investors twice a week. We also promote them on social media uh, and on our website and um, also just um, 
uh, other forms of social media where we pay on behalf of the company to promote them and the opportunities that they represent. Because obviously it's like in, in your best interest as a business as well to promote the business because you want trading activity because that's how you make money as well. So you you want the companies to be communicating well. You want the companies to report well and, and facilitate that because you're going to benefit if they are doing the right thing. Correct. Yeah, you collect that fee. Okay. So they're around about $10 million is like a kind of like a good minimum hurdle. So that's the total value of the shares. People will be thinking that's revenue. It's not. It's the total value of the company. And I've got one follow-up question around, say if I had, I don't have this, but say if I had 30 employees now, you mentioned before that one of the tests is like you want to be a sophisticated investor. But imagine if you have employees, a lot of them wouldn't qualify for sophisticated investor status. I'm assuming they can still join the platform because they're still like they're shareholders, so they can still join and, and get in and still be able to sell. Correct. That is, that is correct. So actually under our license, we've got a, a license to trade for sophisticated investors but also retail. But but more more importantly, if you've already bought shares before, then you, you've qualified for the terms and conditions of the company. So we do let them sell their shares, right? Um, if they don't qualify as a sophisticated investor, we don't enable we do not enable them to buy other shares and other companies on our platform. Okay, I get you. So I'm just thinking in terms of risk here, and thinking in terms of a business owner, Marcus. If I join the primary markets platform, I facilitate some of my shareholders selling. Can I easily go from the primary markets platform? Like, is it is it like, or is it to go there and never come back kind of thing? You know, you know what I'm saying? We we haven't lost. We've only lost one company, and that's because they've gone to gone on to the A6. All right. Um, with their valuations trading significantly lower. Now than it, than it was, but uh, there is no contract to say that you can't leave. You'll have to give a a, you know, a month notice period. But besides that, we're providing really strong liquidity and value accretion on the shares over the, all of the companies that we've got on our platform, which is over a hundred now, is generally in the in the positive realm. Not a lot of day traders, so you know investors that we do put on are, are really in for the longer term rather than short selling. So there is no contract. You, you can leave whenever you need to. We'll support you. We'll also provide marketing opportunities for your company and for your products as well on our platform to the 110,000. So it's a bit of a win-win for both companies. Even if there's not a lot of trading, you know, you're still promoting your company and the products and the opportunities that you foresee um, ahead of time. I've maybe got one more question for you, which is just around Obviously, you deal with a lot of businesses and a lot of investors, so you get to see it firsthand what's going on in the, in the marketplace. What are some of the, you said communication before is like a key element of the businesses being successful and making this market for their shareholders. Do you have any guidance for people that are listening to this and maybe fall into this bracket of my business is this big and I do have shareholders which either I want to get rid of or they want to sell? Do you have some sort of guidance on some of the things they can do to improve their chances of being successful if they were to go to primary markets, like communication, things that they should know before they do it? Yeah, look, so it, it, we can get the company up and running on our platform within a week, right? Now, so it's a, it's a really quick process. But what we have found is that if you look at a company such as BHP, which is listed, they've got a whole team of marketing, investor relations, and, and how they present their story to, to the market. Now, we're not saying that, smaller private companies would need that but it's the way you present your results it's the way you present your strategy it's really clear it's easy to articulate um, it really sends a strong message 
to the investors of why your business is worth investing, the pros and cons and the opportunities and how you've mitigated some of the risks in the company and just pulling those pieces together where it's a presentation, you know, you've got a clear term sheet, you've got a clear way to present to the market on a regular basis. And we, we help companies prepare all that information. We give them guidelines and help promote a really clear story because investors don't usually have a lot of time to make a decision. So it's got to really be front of mind for people that are willing to trade. And we see the average trading size on our platform is around $150,000. All right. Minimum trade size is $5,000. So, you know, there's a wide ranging array of investment opportunities on the platform for different people. Well, that's a pretty, it's obvious why, you know, people aren't day trading because they, it costs them, you know, what roughly, did you say 6% to trade, but also they're bigger parcel sizes. So you're not inclined to be a day trader on the platform. Correct. You're inclined to be a long-term investor and buy into the story. Yeah. But on the ASICs, you know, people can put a $500 share order in and if they're the only trader for the day, and it's at a lower price and the, the share price sits at that. So we try and restrict those types of trades by making a minimum investment size. If you're buying, you know, there's, hardly, there's not, not really a cost to purchase. It's more, more on the sell side. But sophisticated investors usually have a, a greater understanding of turbulent times in companies. So they're usually long, longer term holders. And those are the investments or investors that we look to, to hold on our um, platform, which really do support the private companies that come on our platform. So, you know, as private companies look to shed investors that are trying to get out, we're providing really strong, um, articulated investors that have passed a um, 708 test, which are, which have got a, a number of assets or uh, a higher income usually. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Marcus, you've definitely provided us a really interesting intro to an opportunity or option for people who run businesses or or even our shareholders in a business and think, I am trying to sell this. Because this is one of those frictional areas where as your business grows, you tend to think, well, I've got all these legacy shareholders, maybe they're former employees or in early stage investors. And sometimes they're looking to sell. And sometimes you as a business owner probably are happy for them to get off the share register and just have like one bigger shareholder or multiple other shareholders and raise capital if you want to sell more shares. It's pretty like that whole process is anyone that's been through that process will know how cumbersome, tedious and admin heavy that is. So a way to solve that is is really welcome. And people can head to primarymarkets.com. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes for anyone that uh, wants to learn more. I'm on the website here on the other side of my screen, Marcus, and I can see all the different opportunities that are available, as well as some information about these businesses. So you can see, if you're watching or listening to this, you can see how other businesses present themselves and you can learn more about uh, the primary markets business and the process. So mate, I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your day and uh, joining me on the show. Thank you. I'm uh, looking forward to chatting to your, to your members. I'll be happy to uh, help them through the process. Great. Thanks, Owen. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. If you're a small business owner or an expert like an accountant, lawyer, investor, or entrepreneur, 
I want to hear from you. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do with this podcast series, so I'm looking for sponsors as well as potential co-hosts, and of course, I'm eager to invest in businesses run by talented people. If you're looking for a supporter or advisor, a silent partner, or even an investor to support your growth, I can help. Please contact me via the Rask website. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.